the First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome everyone to the Joan Hamburg Show and I'm very excited to introduce you to someone you're very familiar with. Tony Award winner John Rubenstein, wonderful actor, is now playing the 34th president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, on Broadway. Eisenhower, this piece of ground, it's a one-man show, and it gives us all the dimensions of the former general who, you can't forget, commanded the Allied forces in Europe, all this during World War II. But there's so much more to Eisenhower, as you're going to find out. And John takes you by the hand. Congratulations. I don't remember seeing you in a one-man show before. No, I have never done one before. I've thought about it, and I've sort of, you know, dabbled around with different um, ideas for what I might do, whom I might play. Uh, I always thought it might might have something to do with music. I might be playing the piano and singing songs or something. But um, I never got it together, uh, never found the perfect thing to launch myself into. And this beautiful, brilliantly written play about Dwight Eisenhower just came to me. Uh, Peter Ellenstein, the director, had the idea for the play, brought it to his dear friend and partner, uh, uh, Richard Hellison, the playwright, who wrote the play, and then they sent it to me and asked me to climb aboard, which I very gratefully did. Right. I mean, you you went right for it and a totally different thing for you. But really, yes, a, it's such a part an interesting... Unlike any I've ever played, yeah. And the play, well, it's the president in this play is upset, as anyone might be, it talks about historians. 75 historians rank the presidents by their level of greatness, right? They were great or near great, average, failure, below average. And the president, in this case, is 22 among 34. And he didn't like that. <laughs> That's right. I actually remember... Being a teenager, I was 15 at the time, and uh, I remember that New York Times magazine um, article about the, the 75 historians ranking the presidents, and they had all their little pictures on one page, and you could see them, and Lincoln was there at number one. Yeah, and there was uh, Eisenhower down at 22, and, and uh, our playwright figured that that would be a very good hook to start a play about a guy who is hurt, basically. I mean, it's a little bit of a of an ego bruise right. to have just served for eight years, done a lot of great things, and find yourself ranked pretty low uh, amongst a bunch of presidents that weren't terribly distinguished above you. Right. And it's something you don't want to deal with. What I particularly liked, and the audience is really going to appreciate this too, is when you talk about this president's politics, 
his personality, you're also talking about something which every now and then we wish we had, moderation. And That's there's right. such a that difference his... between right now and then. Yeah, there's so many things in this play, uh, which is all, really all of it, is things that Eisenhower said or wrote or was quoted as having said or was interviewed and the interviewer wrote what he told the interviewer. So none of it has been tacked on in order to make it sound relevant right. or, or current. But that said, so much of what Eisenhower was talking about dealing with and even predicting into the future uh, are things that we are now grappling with and uh, in, in many, many cases not grappling with well or successfully at all. And he says, which the playwright says, I wasn't going to be called a Republican or a Democrat till I knew that at least one of them, one of them at least stood for things I thought were more important to this country. Wouldn't we love to hear that now? Yes. I mean, the, in, one of the many interesting things about Eisenhower was that, first of all, he never, ever wanted to be a military man. He didn't choose that. He only applied for the military academies because that was the only way he could see to get a college education. Um, his family had no money, and you could get it for free if you placed first, which he finally managed to do. And then he loved it, and, and he grew in the military. But then much later, when it started looking like people wanted him to be a politician, he wanted nothing to do with it, and he tried actively to stay out of it, but he finally acquiesced because he felt that it was up to him to do good for his country. And if he didn't run and if he didn't jump into politics, uh, the country might take a wrong turn and he might be able to push it in the right direction. And that's the only reason he went into politics. John, was it Oh, was he a hard character to get into? I have to say no, no. And that is really all due to the playwright, Richard Hellison. I, I've played many parts, you know, I've been working for almost six decades. And sometimes you, you, you get a part, it's, a, it's an interesting character or something, a good guy or a bad guy, it doesn't matter. And the words as written for you just aren't, they don't really come out of a, a, a sense of reality or something. You make it work, you know, you, you do the best you can and you try to somehow make those uncomfortable words feel spontaneous and real. But then there are other times where the writers, whether it's in a play or a TV show or a movie, they write something for you and it just comes out of your mouth as though you just made it up from your heart. And this play was one of those. Uh, no, it was not. It's difficult to execute it, to talk right. for two hours and memorize all those words and get them right. That was, that was a big challenge. But not the acting of the role as written. That, that was relatively easy. And it encompasses so much. Eisenhower recognized Senator Joe McCarthy 
and the witch hunts and what problems they were turning to be, even though, as the play points out, he was very anti-communist in terms of what he thought about and wanted to do. Yes, it was the beginning of the Cold War. The Soviets had waited while Hitler decimated Europe, and then they just sort of marched in and took over all those countries. My, my parents' country, I, I'm a first generation from Poland, and, you know, Poland and Romania and Hungary right. and Czechoslovakia and uh, all of those countries, not to mention all of the what became the Soviet socialist republics like Ukraine and Georgia and, and the many, many others. Uh, so, yes, being an anti-communist, was, it sort of made sense because the, the communists, the Soviets, were doing terrible things and, and sort of trying to take over uh, the world in, in some way. But the way that Joe McCarthy approached it and used, used that political reality as a way to just destroy thousands of people's lives in this country was one of the, one of the worst uh, episodes in this country's history. Awful. How old were you when you came to this country? Well, I, I was born in Los you were Angeles. Born my here. parents, my parents came in 1939. They lived in Paris with my older brother and sister, who were very young children at that time, and um, Hitler was on his way. And, you know, my father was a Jewish man. My mother was a Catholic, but that wouldn't help anything. And um, so they had to get out of there. And they, my father also had a concert tour. He was a pianist. A very and he famous had a concert pianist. tour planned for America. So they got on the boat and they came to New York and they lived here in this city for, for a while. And then they moved out to California where many, many artists and you know, uh, writers and painters and composers and filmmakers were sort of grouped together there in, in Los Angeles. Uh, it was sort of an, an expat artist's community. And therefore, I was born uh, there. And you are very musical, too. Yeah, I took piano lessons from a very young age. Yeah, well. And then... I lived in New York, I moved out of Los Angeles when I was in second grade, um, and fell in love with the theater living here in New York. I went to every play and musical, you know, all through the 50s and the 60s when I was going to school through high school. And in those days, a kid like me on his allowance, which wasn't huge, could afford to go to the theater. And if he liked to play, he could see it two or three times, even sit in the balcony. Seats weren't expensive. I don't know what a young person in this city now does if they love the theater. <laughs> right, for 200 the something so a high ticket. That, yeah. So, but I was lucky. I lived here in, in that sort of often called golden age of theater in New York. And I saw everything that, that came through. And that was, um, that was the beginning of, 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 my, uh, of my life as, a, as an actor. Right. And I went, like you did, I went to the theater 
every week. I used my mother yeah. took me to school at the neighborhood playhouse, school of the theater. Oh. And remember, they were the days, and she would pick me up, and we would just go right along Broadway and pick a theater, pick a show. It didn't matter. We would just go. That's what I used to do. Right. And it affordable. Enchanted way of growing up, and and you learned so much seeing all those different plays about different exactly. topics, and yeah, some of them and were you, silly and funny, and some of them were. I'll never forget seeing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I didn't know what it was about. I had no idea. I just all by myself. I, I went in there, and I staggered out of that theater. I, I was, I, <laughs> I I didn't know the theater could be like that. I know where it just reaches out and grabs you and you belong yeah. to that play That's for right. a couple of hours and escape from whatever the world is you've stepped out of. You escape, but you also, you bring with you some new knowledge, some new insights, sometimes into yourself, um, or sometimes into the world around you or, or worlds that you have had no idea about until that particular show showed them to you. Mm -hmm. I felt that way about a play I was in called uh, Children of a Lesser God, oh which my opened my mind up to the entire community of people who are hard of hearing or deaf and, and what their challenges are and what their, the, the amazing beauty of their, of their communication and, and their, slightly different take on the world because they have to take it on differently than those of us who can hear. So yeah, the theater is, is a, is a place of magic and, and uh, education and, and inspiration. Right. And it's interesting that you and your siblings all headed for that. You know, you didn't get the old lecture, be a lawyer, be a doctor, be a dentist, anything, but in the theater. No, I, I got a little bit of a lecture to be a conductor. <laughs> my, well, I can my understand father thought that. that I should be an orchestra conductor. And every now and then, you know, I do, I do say, gosh, I, maybe I should have done that. But no, it, it's not as much fun. There's so much fun in the theater, um, playing with people, forming these teams. You, you meet on the first day of rehearsal, a cast of people that can be 64 people. <laughs> as I've had in ragtime yeah. or just me alone. That's not as exciting because I sort of know myself, but um, to put together those teams and work with new directors. And uh, that, that is a huge uh, joy to get to participate in. Right. Work with people like Edgar Doctorow and yeah, some of, yeah. some of the greats. Well, it's all in there and very exciting. And when your career started taking off, you just went with the flow, right? You didn't look back or decide, maybe I shouldn't do this again, even though you were starting to really get cast in so many things. Oh, no, no. I never, I never had really second thoughts about it. Only now, in my older age, as I look no. over sort of my... My whole life, I say, well, I wonder, you know, I might have been a really good conductor and might might have 
done something with it. But there are so many brilliant and wonderful conductors, just as there are so many brilliant and wonderful actors. I'm just, I feel lucky and blessed to be part of it. I've, I've scored a lot of movies. I've written a lot of music. I have conducted a lot of orchestras in order right. to do that. And, um, and I've acted and I've taught in universities and I've directed a lot of plays and some television too. So I feel that I've, I've just had a wonderful, you know, uh, professional having. life. And I'm having, yes, tomorrow night, I go back to that theater and I bring Eisenhower to the right. audience. And it's an, it's an honor to get to do it. Right, with all the levels, you know, because he seemed like such a man of moderation that sometimes it's hard to really know who he really is. And this is quite extraordinary. You got or the writer got a lot of the play right from his own memoirs and his letters. So there's a definite authenticity to this. Absolutely. As I said before, there's nothing that's really sort of added in and fictionalized by the writer, except for the, you know, the, the fact of him reading that magazine and turning on his tape recorder and talking to his editor that's the sort right. of the device of the play. And I, I, I don't think that that happened. But every word that he says is basically something that, that he said at some point or another. And a lot of it is also based on a book by his granddaughter, Susan, who wrote a book called How Ike Led and, and um, gave a lot of personal stuff in that book about Ike that wasn't just the historical stuff, right. the sort of background. And, and, and a lot of that uh, appears in the play as well. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a fascinating experience. And John, what about your own children? Are they involved in your world? Well, um, my daughter, Jessica, who is my oldest child, who was born uh, while we were, uh, just before we went into rehearsals for the original production of Pippin. Yeah. Um, she uh, appeared off Broadway when she was nine years old. Wow. She, in a, in a play with music, she walked out. The first thing you saw was little beautiful Jessica coming out and singing with all her heart a little song <laughs> all by herself. I'll never forget it. And um, then she was the understudy in a Broadway play that didn't last very long. That was still very exciting. Uh, at the Music Box Theater. And she also uh, danced at the School of American Ballet. Wow. Was in the Nutcracker <laughs> for, for two different seasons up there at Lincoln Center. So she did that. And then uh, her the next child, uh, Michael, is an actor and a very successful one. He goes by the name of Michael Weston uh -huh. because there, there was a Michael Rubenstein in the Screen Actors Guild, and there was a Michael West. His mother's last name was West. So he made up the name Weston. But he's very successful. He's worked here off-Broadway. He's worked uh, in the theater in Los Angeles and uh, has done a lot of movies and a lot of television, and he's, he's terrific. Yeah, I think uh, my son I, actually worked with him on a television oh, really they were doing a while ago. No kidding. Yeah, it ring. It definitely rings a bell. Uh -huh. But it's all good and all exciting. 
And here you are again, working almost every day and every yep. night. And it's something that you all have to see. Can you, well, yes, when you I go hope home? I come to see it. Yeah. Absolutely. When Pardon? you go home, John, can you put Eisenhower, can he relax a little or is he hard to, he's in your head so much? No, I mean, when I'm doing a play, I, I, I am able to walk out of the stage door after the performance and just live my life and be myself. Uh, I've never had trouble with that. Right. I, I do know that there are actors who carry, carry what they're doing. There was a play I was offered once, um, which the story was about a man who had whacked his son, his baby son of two years old against the wall so hard that he had destroyed its brain. Oh. And he was now in prison and they were, they wanted to pull the plug on the little boy who was being kept alive by, by machines. But if they pulled that plug and he died, then it would be murder. murder. And as it was, it was just attempted something like that. And I said, Nope, I don't want to, I don't want to be in that Situation. frame of mind eight times yeah. a week. I just don't want to do that. It was still, it was a good play. Um, yeah. But I, 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 that was something that scared me that I wouldn't be able to leave behind at the theater when I left. Well, the theater is your life, and thanks to this, you've given us all a great gift. I appreciate your taking the time. Congratulations on Eisenhower, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. A pleasure, John. John Rubenstein. And I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC, and we have much more ahead.